0: Okay, I believe that is all of our announcements, so we're going to go ahead and jump into the message this morning. We've been in our series entitled Closer. This is actually week four of our uh, series, and I've enjoyed sharing it with you. I think it's really been uh, important as we've been through this 21 days of prayer and fasting to kind of hit into this, this topic, into this series of drawing closer to God and going closer to each other as we begin 2023, And and so this has kind of been a message that I've Been excited about sharing, and I really thought it was important to kind of share it here at the tail end of our fast. I know that next week it'll be actually closer to the end of our fast, but it will technically be done at that point. And so I'm excited about sharing this uh, message with you. I feel like it's it's a very timely message as we kind of bring this time of prayer and fasting and focus uh, to a close. Um, But I think it's a very important message that we understand and take that and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Obviously, not just during these. 21 days, but throughout the year and every day. So where if you do have your Bibles or you can watch it on the screen or on your phone, whatever you have, we're going to be in 1 Kings. We're going to start this morning looking at 1 Kings 19. We're going to kind of look at a little bit of a quick little story, but then we're going to go back and look at it a little bit deeper. So if you have your Bibles, turn them, open them up to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start with verse number 11 and just read a couple of verses this morning before we really get into this. So here's what it says. The Lord said... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And there was wind, and after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elisha heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elisha? Let's pray. Father, we love you. and We do thank you so much for this day and this time. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to, to be with you and to, to look to you to, to lead us, guide us, and direct us. Because, Father, this isn't about a, a time where a person comes and just speaks some words and we go, oh, isn't that nice? And then we leave. Father, that's not, if that's what this is about, then we might as well just go. But, Father, when you come and you speak through individuals, God, when your word is proclaimed, that's when things can really happen and take place. So, Father, if with that in mind, God, I pray that my words would cease and, God, that yours would begin. Because, God, my words aren't going to do much. But, Father, your words change everything. And that's what we need. That's what we want. So, God, we ask that you just come. Open our hearts to what you want to share with us this morning. Let it change us from the inside out. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember a couple of years ago, I was actually youth pastoring in in Albuquerque at the time. was uh, talking to somebody I just really kind of gotten in there and I don't think I'd even been in Albuquerque for over a year and there was a gentleman that I got to know in the church and he was a kind of a newer Christian and and we were talking and we went out to coffee one day and we were kind of talking about some things and I don't remember exactly what had happened or what the situation really was but uh, it came up that there was some type of a a natural disaster again I don't remember which one it was was probably a hurricane or something like that and he and I were talking about kind of the 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 working of the American Red Cross and and some other organizations that had come down to help in that area and also um, one of the organizations that the assemblies uh, have is is called the Convoy of Hope and they're an organization that's connected with the Assemblies of God and they go down a lot of times in disaster situations like that to, to bring water and food and, and other types of situations. And we were talking about those things that he had heard about that, he knew about it, and 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 he was kind of talking about the difference that that organization was making, kind of even not, not in competition in any way, shape, or form, but, but kind of in that way of talking about the American Red Cross and, and how they were able to do certain things. But for some reason it seemed like this, this organization Organization began to do something a little bit more and, and was impacting a little bit more in, in those ways. Um, later on, I, you know talking to somebody else, there was a time where there was a gentleman that I knew, and he had kind of gone through. Uh, a program called Teen Challenge. I don't know if you know about Teen Challenge, but basically, it is a organization that uh, ministers to individuals that are dealing with alcohol and drug abuse. But it's a very Christian-based, biblically-based program that these individuals go through, and and it's just amazing to see the life change that that God does in those things. And and but again, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like Alcohol Anonymous, but with a very much a Christian focus, a biblical focus. And, and we were kind of talking about that and the success that, that basically Alcohol Anonymous has have versus this Teen Challenge program and, and all these things. And again, these were not about having competition. But at the same time, it seems like some of these organizations seem to do a better job than some of the other ones. And, and why? And, and what are those things? And, and then kind of to broaden it out as well, when you think about, you know, the church or, or maybe a different type of, of civil organization or, or group that gets together. What's the difference? What, what is about the church that should be different from any other group, any other thing that's out there? Not that those things are bad or they're doing a horrible job in any of those areas, not at all, but they're, ought to be something very different and ought to be something that is, that is evident in the difference between a church, a body of believers that are focused in on the Lord, and just another group that just gets together on every other Saturday. There should be something different. The question becomes, what is that difference? What is there that separates us, not makes us better necessarily, but what separates us from everything else? And I'll think it one step further. This may upset some of you, but I think it's something we need to talk about. There are different churches who seem to just have something different about them versus other churches. There are people who claim to follow Jesus, and, and, and there's just something different about them. Well, this morning, I think we need to talk about that thing that's different. We need to look at that thing that I believe God has placed in every church and every believer. This is not something that God holds back. This is not something that God looks at it and goes, "Ah, I'm not really interested in giving it to you. He's interested in giving it to everyone. The question becomes, will every church or will every person who claims to know Jesus, will they accept this gift that God has for them? Will they be willing to walk in this? Or will it just kind of be something on the peripheral that just doesn't seem to matter all that much? This morning we're going to look at the life of Elisha. We're going to look at his life and look at some things that were going on in his life that really help us to understand what I believe God wants to do and how God wants to help us to begin to have a life-changing experience with him, to be a church that has experienced something greater than other places or other civil organizations. And I believe that thing is very simple. It is something that is available to every single one of us. It's simply the presence of God. It's simply walking in the presence of God. In our verse this morning, these verses that we're looking at, really to understand what has taken place, we're going to need to go back a little bit. We're going to look at some context of what brought Elisha to this place where we find him in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. So let's look at it together. What happened in the life of Elisha up to this point? Okay. Now we're going to go through this fairly quickly. All of this is in your Bibles in 1 Kings 18 and 19, kind of leading up to this story. But basically, Elisha was called by God to basically help eliminate idol worship in Israel. At this time, Israel had turned once again against God. They were beginning to serve other gods, beginning to do just some horrific, horrific things. And so God calls Elisha to come and be a stand against this, to try to call the people back to him and away from these idols. And one of the major events that takes place in this, this timeline and in Elisha's life is when Elisha basically calls for a showdown. He basically says, hey, listen, he goes to the prophets of Baal, and he says, listen, I want you to just come up, and I want you to meet me on this mountain. We're going to settle this once and for all. We're going to figure out who's God and who isn't. And so Elisha calls all these men up and basically he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up this altar and, and we're going to, you pray to your God and I'll pray to my God. And we're going to see who consumes basically this sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal, man, they set it up there and they go to town. They yell, they scream, they go on day, you know, hour after hour. Scripture tells us they even cut themselves to try to get their God to hear them, but nothing happens. So Elisha finally has had enough. He says, you know what, you guys, you're done. You're done. He stands up and just to kind of, you know, make sure everybody understands the situation. Basically, Elisha says, listen, you know the, the sacrifice? I want you to drench it. So people start getting buckets, or not buckets, but jars of water, and they begin to, to dump it on there so much so that there's a trough around the altar that's full with water. I mean, this is soaked. Elisha prays, fire comes down from heaven, and it literally consumes everything that's there. The water, the sacrifice, the stones, it's gone. And that's a great story. And usually, especially when you're in Sunday school, that's where the story ends. But it doesn't. And since we're all adults and we can handle these sort of things, we're going to take one step further. Because after this happens, Elisha does something pretty extreme. Scripture tells us that Elisha tells the people of Israel, listen, don't let a single one of these The prophets of Baal escape, and they don't. And Elisha takes these men, he takes them down to the valley, and he um, removes their ability to breathe, if that makes sense. He kills them. Scripture tells us he kills them all. This is a big deal. You go, boy, that's kind of harsh. But you got to have to remember what these men had led the children of Israel into. They were literally sacrificing their own children. In the fire. This was not a good situation. And so God takes this very seriously. So Elisha, he, he takes these men out. Well, after that happens, the king is there. There's a king at the time. His name is Ahab. Many of you have heard of Ahab and especially you've heard of his wife. Her, his name, her name was Jezebel. So Ahab is here at that event. He sees this happen. And now we're going to kind of pick up the story starting with 1 Kings 19 verses 1 uh, through 4. And this is what it says. It says, when Ahab got home, got home from this event, he told Jezebel everything Elisha had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elisha may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elisha was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. Now listen, if you have your Bibles, um, try to hold on to that area because I need to explain a couple of things here, Okay. So Elisha has done something absolutely incredible. God has used him to make a major impact into his society, into the world. The people that are there are blown away and they're going, oh my goodness, we should stop following this nothing and actually follow God. But Jezebel hates Elisha. She hates the prophets of the Lord. And so she and, she and her king or her husband Ahab have really been spearheading this movement into this worship of this idol. And so she begins to threaten him. She begins to say, listen, you're going to die. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to kill you. Now you would think that this mighty powerful man of God who has just literally seen fire come down from heaven and consume all this would be able to look at this queen and go bring it. Like I would love to imagine that I would have that type of faith too. But maybe I wouldn't. So Elisha instead of standing up instead of saying listen come ahead I got God on my side he runs away. The Bible tells us that he runs to a town called Beersheba. Beersheba is literally 113 miles south of where he just was. So he turns tail and runs. This man of God, this powerful expression of God's presence and his power. And one lady says a mean thing and he's out. And he doesn't kind of go away. He goes 113 miles south to run away. And then what's interesting is he gets to Beersheba, he's with a servant, he says, listen servant, you stay here, and he goes another day's journey into the wilderness. So now, he's not in a city, he's in the middle of nowhere. A long way away from a really powerful presence of the Lord. The scripture tells us that when he gets there after this day's journey in the desert, he comes to this broom tree and he he sits down under it and he prays to the Lord and he prays basically, I've had enough, God. And basically he prays, God, listen, if if you want to let me die, I'd be thrilled with that. He is not in a good place. He's not in this moment where you're like, man, this is a this is this is an awesome moment. He's scared, he's afraid, he's discouraged, he's depressed. At that moment, it says an angel comes and touches him and gives him something to eat. So in this moment, even though he's afraid, even though he is run away, God still sends an angel to minister to him. And then you would think that maybe at this point, Elisha went, okay, I'm Okay. I mean, an angel showed up, gave him food and water. He's experienced these great moments of God. But look how the story continues. Let's continue on. First Kings 19, verses 8 and 9. It says, so he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength, check this out, to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But look here. But the Lord said to him, Elisha, what are you doing here, Elisha? So he's had this moment. The angels come. He takes the food. Now you would think that the food was there for him to say, stop. Maybe I should stop running away and turn around and go back. And Elisha does the opposite. He's like, oh God, thank you so much for giving me this food so I can run even further away. So he eats and drinks. And 40 days and 40 nights, he continues to travel. But God knows where he is, and God says, "Elisha, what are you doing?" This is where we find Elisha in First Kings nineteen eleven, hiding in a cave, afraid for his life. This mighty man of God, this man of God who has seen so many amazing things, powerful. Uh, expressions of God's power and his authority and his presence and yet in this moment he has gone off and he's hiding in a cave you know to really understand this we obviously understand that Elisha at this point he's got a problem he's got a big problem but thankfully God has a solution You see, for a lot of us, we deal with these issues, we deal with problems, we deal with situations, we deal with with issues in our lives, and for some of us, maybe we're not physically running off and hiding in a cave, but spiritually speaking, things have happened that that make us uh, discouraged and make us depressed and makes us feel all alone, and we begin to go, and spiritually speaking, we go and we hide in caves. Thankfully, even though Elisha and we sometimes have problems, God has a solution so first let's look at in a little more depth what elisha's problem really is let's look at first kings 19 again right before 19 verses verse 10 right before we read uh the our text this morning this is what it says remember god's word comes to elisha and says what are you doing here elisha this is his answer in first kings nineteen ten. he replied i have been very zealous for the lord god almighty the israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword i am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too what was his problem he got listen this verse talks a lot about a lot of problems and here's what i found before we get on our spiritual high horse and go boy elisha you should have done better here these are problems that every probably every single one of us deal with as well Look what he does here. Look what he does. Is break down this verse and see. He basically says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Really? You ran away? Yeah, you were zealous at some times, but at this point, this isn't zealous. You're hiding in a cave. Next, he blames everybody. The, the Israelites have done this. They've rejected. Now, was that true? Absolutely, it was true. But isn't it interesting in this moment that this great man of God begins pointing the finger at everybody else. They've messed up. They've messed up. They've done these things. It's amazing. As human beings, how quickly we are to blame everybody else besides the fact that we were the ones in some ways that have run away. And then he says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Later on, we see that God says, no, you're not. There's about (laughs) 7,000. But we, he, he felt alone. When we get these moments of discouragement and, 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 and just all these things begin to happen, we, we act like we're all alone. We feel all alone. And then he takes it one step further and they're trying to kill me too. Maybe that's the only really true statement that he says in all of this. Not that the other ones weren't true, but you know what I mean. He's like, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elisha is not in a good spot. Elisha's upset, he's disappointed, he's discouraged, he's scared, he's dealing with all these issues and they're all coming. Listen, here's the thing, and I I want us to understand this. Elisha was a mighty man of God, but Elisha was just like the rest of us. At times, he forgot his God. He forgot who his God really was and the power and the authority that his God had. And that his God loved him and had a plan for him. You know, it sometimes even the mighty, sometimes the strong can be so weak. And you know what? I am so thankful that our God is so good and so merciful that he didn't look at Elisha and say, Elisha, you should have known better. How dare you question me? How dare you act this way? He doesn't. And I wanted you to get this because I love this. Because it is so true for not just Elisha, but for all of us. For all of us. It's in your notes. After his running, after going to Beersheba, after basically taking another day into the wilderness, then going 40 days, basically Elisha is nearly 400 miles from where he's supposed to be. However, God doesn't abandon him. God does the opposite. He pursues him. I am so thankful that our God pursues us. I am so thankful. And it started, listen, we just celebrated. It started in a manger 2,000 years ago where God came and he said, listen, I'm going to pursue my children that have run away. I'm not going to sit here and wait for you to come back to me. I will go after you. Because here's the deal. Just like with our salvation, God has a solution. So many times we look at others or other situations or other people and we're dying to give them, for them to give us a solution when the only solution is found in God. The only solution that we need is found in Him. Maybe this morning you feel a lot like Elisha. You've been running. You've been trying to kind of do your own thing. And you know what? God has not stopped pursuing you. He loves you and He wants you. So look, in this situation, and I believe for many, many of us, God gives a solution. It's found in 1 Kings nineteen eleven. Listen to what it says. It says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of, of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. With all the things Elisha's feeling, what's God say? He says, Elisha, get into my presence. Why do we spend 21 days in prayer and fasting? Because we need to get into God's presence. Amen. And here's the deal. Like, like, A lot of times when you talk about the presence of God, you know, a lot of people go, well, God's always around. God's, God's always around us. Yes, I know that. But this is something a little bit deeper. This is a little something a little bit more. Listen, you can be around someone. Like, for example, let me give you this. Like, I could go to Cherry Creek Mall, okay? And that's a large place, Okay? It's a big old area. And in the middle, I don't know if you've been there in a while, but in the middle, I think they have like this big old area. It's like a dinosaur kind of thing for the kids to play on. You've seen this? Okay? Kind of a jungle jimmy kind of place. I don't know. You know? The kids run around, parents sit around, and it's just this, this, whatever. So I can take my son and I can place him in this play area, okay? And I can go upstairs. Look down and see him. Be far away from him and technically be in his presence. But there is something different about getting down to where he is, into his level, into his area, putting my arms around him and holding him close. That's a different type of presence, isn't it? God is not interested in having you far away and seeing you and go, there you are and there God is. God desires to be in your, have you come into his presence in a much more intimate, much more life-transforming way. It's amazing that he wants this for you. To understand this even deeper, we need to understand really what God is saying here to help us understand. Look in your notes. This, the Hebrew word here for presence is the word penum. It means face, okay? It means face, okay? So when you see what the Lord is saying, let's look at it again. First Kings 19, 11, and here's what he says really in the original Hebrew. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain to see my face. Now, here's the deal. You can see my face right now. Now, there's a wall here. But if I continued to go back further and further and further, you could still see my face, but you wouldn't see it very clearly. You would not know if I had on glasses or not. You wouldn't know the color of my eyes. Oh, yeah, there's his face, but it's far away. God wants us to see his face and to be close to his face, to look at his face. And here's the thing. This is a different type of situation than just focusing in on God's hand. He's calling Elisha into a deep, intimate encounter with him. So let's look at it. Let's continue. 1 Kings nineteen eleven, 11. And this is obviously our scripture kind of focus for this morning. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And, the wind uh, and after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elisha heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. A lot of times we... We, we look at things and, and we, we want the presence of God and we desire the presence of God, but sometimes we look in the wrong spots. You see, what's interesting is Elisha had already seen some of these things before and they hadn't changed him. Isn't that interesting? He's seen fire. He saw fire from heaven. He's seen these expressions of God's power, but yet even though he'd experienced them, he had run away. You see, a lot of times for Christians, we think there is something special about the earthquake of God or the, the, the fire of God or the, the wind of God. And we talk about all these things. Oh, I just want to do this or feel this and all these sort of things. But sometimes God's saying, listen, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's not always about the fire. It's not about the wind. It's not about the earthquake. It's about my whisper. Here's what I know about a whisper. Ready? Listen. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Listen, I got a microphone on. You couldn't hear me? You can't hear me. You can't. Why can't you hear me? Why can't you hear me? If I brought somebody up here, and I won't, and I whisper to you in your ear, could you hear me? You see, there's something about a whisper because it brings us close to the whisperer. You can see lightning and thunder and earthquake. I, I, always, I always get this kick out of people that live in California, you know? And they're like, oh, yeah, my, my roommate now, my, my friend, my college roommate, is a pastor in California. And we'll talk. It's like, oh, yeah, we felt a tremor. And I'm just like, I've never lived in California. I'm like, That's, that shouldn't be no big deal, you know? But it is to him. You know, it's like, yeah, everything moves and you move on. Like, you don't have to be near the epicenter of the earthquake to feel the earthquake. You can be many, many miles away from a thunderstorm and still hear the light or see the lightning and hear the thunder. You can be a long way from the wind or where the source of it is and it can blow and you can see the effect of it. But there is something that a whisper does and it makes you draw close, it makes you get into his face face and so many of us we sit there and we demand God bring the wind bring the fire bring all these things when God's saying listen you're wanting the wrong thing if you'll just come I'll whisper the secrets and the love that I have for you and it'll change everything but it becomes a question that we all have to answer how important is the presence of God to you how important is this to you Because for some of us, it just isn't. For some of us, it just is kind of like, you know, yeah, God's presence is great, but it's just not really what I really need. In Exodus 33, we see this amazing story. We see this story, Moses is is there, and just kind of give you a real quick recap again, so you understand where we are. Basically, the children of Israel have been led out of the of Egypt, they've seen all the plagues, they've seen all the stuff, they've gone through all these amazing things. The Red Sea has been parted, they've done all these things, but at the same time, they have really messed up. They've worshiped a golden calf, they, they've complained, they've moaned, they've griped to Moses and to God. And basically, when we get to Exodus 33, God is like, I'm done with these people. Like, I am done. And so look what God says to Moses in Exodus 33. We're going to look at verse 1 and then jump to verse number 3. It says, "Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants." Now stop here. Let's see what's what's happening. So basically God's like, "Listen, I'm done with this. I'm finished with these people. These people are driving me absolutely nuts. But you know what? I made a promise. And when God makes a promise, God's promises are done. Doesn't matter what you do. God is going to see his promises because that's who God is. And so God says to Moses, listen, I promised this land and they're going to get it. They don't deserve it. They're driving me nuts, but they're going to get it. Look, he continues on in verse three. He says, go up, to the land flowing with milk and honey. But look here, but God's speaking, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. So what's the situation? It's real simple. God says, listen, I promised you the promised land. It's an awesome place. It's land flowing with milk and honey. But you know what? I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. You go, you get to experience all the good, all the blessings, all the amazing things that I've promised you, but I won't be with you. Look how Moses responds in Exodus thirty-three fifteen. 15, real short. Then Moses said to him, back to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from It's one of the most amazing scriptures in the entire Bible when you really understand the context. God is basically telling Moses, you get it all. You get all the blessings. You get all the promises. You get everything, all the good stuff. It's yours. But you know what? I'm not going with you. And Moses says, you know what, God? Don't want it. Look, it's in your notes. Moses was basically saying, I'm not willing to sacrifice your presence for your blessing. Because here's the deal. I promise you, at this point in time, if God had made that promise to Israel as a whole, Israel would have been like, awesome, sweet, give us the blessings. God, thanks, but we're out. Unfortunately, as I look at our culture today, I think that's where we're at. God, give me all the stuff But God, if I get all this stuff and I don't get you, I'm completely cool with that. Moses was different. Moses said no. Moses was basically saying, I would rather sit here and die in the wilderness with you than to go experience the blessings and the promises that you have for me in the promised land. Why was Moses able to do this? Why did he have all these things? I think it could be lots of things, but I think it really boils down to one thing in particular. Moses had a burning bush experience with God. Moses went into the presence of God and it changed him. It didn't make him perfect. It didn't take away all the issues, but he had an experience and when he did, he said, God, I just want to be near your face. I don't need your hand, I need your face get an experience that changed everything you see the fruit of an experience with God's face is it changes everything in your heart and in your life the reason why the Israelites would have been so easy to say you know what we'll take the promise we'll take the blessing but not you was because they had not had an experience with God yet you go, Aaron how could you say that they saw plagues yes they did they saw a, a, the Red Sea part in front of them. They walked, these people walked on dry land. Yes, they did. They experienced Mount Sinai. Yes, they did. Manna from heaven every day. They go out, frosted flakes on the ground. Yes, they did. And yet they still rebelled, they still complained. They still would have traded God in at a moment for all the stuff. Why? Because although you can see the earthquake, or you can see the fire, or you can see the wind, they had not experienced the whisper. But Moses had. Moses had experienced the whisper of God. Elisha, in that moment, experiences the whisper of God, and he heads back. Listen, for some of us, we think that the idea of experiencing or getting closer to God, it needs to have the fire and the earthquake and the wind. And listen, hear my heart here, okay? There are times when God does show up, and he does some mighty powerful things. I've seen it happen. I've experienced them in my own life, But I will tell you from my own personal experience and from what I find in God's word, that will not sustain you. There has to be a whisper in his presence. There's got to be something deeper. Because here's what I found about human nature. And this is the sad state of us as human beings. We'll make excuses for it. We'll pass it along. We'll forget. I've always been amazed by that. Here's these Israelites, and just like I said, man, they have seen stuff. I mean, come on! They have seen some stuff. The Pharisees. Man, they know Lazarus was dead, and there he is. Nope. No. Why? Why? Because there is something different about God's whisper in His presence. There's something different about getting into God's face and hearing His whisper that God desperately wants to give you and give me. This is not God saying, oh, there's this group over here, and boy, they're the holy special ones. They get to hear my whisper. No, this is for all of us to experience. All of us to walk into God's presence boldly and go straight up to our Father and hear His whispers. I'm thankful, hear me, I'm thankful for the earthquakes. I'm thankful for the fire. I'm thankful for the wind when they come. But listen, hear me here. If your life and your Christian experience revolves around those experiences, you will never have a deep, intimate relationship with God. It will all be surface. And here's the deal. When those fire and that earthquake and that wind isn't there, and there will be times when they're not, you will have a very hard time following God. Because really, in some ways, you are worshiping what God can do instead of who God is. And we worship Him for who He is, not what He has done. Because even if He did nothing for us, He is still God. He is still worthy to be worshiped and praised. So... Let's close quickly with some little bit of application. How do we experience the presence of God in our lives? Just a couple verses here. Deuteronomy 4, 29, this is what it says. But but from there you will search again from the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find Let me tell you the context of Deuteronomy 4. Basically, God is prophesying and he's basically saying, listen, I know what you're going to do. I know that you're going to run from me and you're going to abandon me. You're going to follow other gods. But he says here in Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there, from that place of rebellion, from that place of running away, even there, even if you've run 400 miles from where you need to be, if you search for me with all your heart and your soul, you will find me. You'll find me. How do we experience the presence of God? We put away all the other stuff, and we go after his heart and after his face with everything in us. And we, God tells us, when you do that, you'll find me. And then I love this verse. Always have in James 4a, or 4 8, the first part of it, God makes another promise. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. There is no condition to that, if that makes sense. Verse James 4, 7 doesn't say, if you, you know, if you're perfect... And come to God, God can come to you. It doesn't say, if you've memorized all of the Old Testament, then then as you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. It simply says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. But here's the thing about both of these things. We've talked about it through this series. These are conditional promises. These are things that say, listen, if you will search and you'll search for me with all your heart, I promise you'll find me. It says, if you'll come near to me, if you're willing to make that commitment and come near to me and near to my face, then I will come near to you. They're conditional. When we take that step, God will take that step back with us. Here's the deal. We all know this, we're, we're, we're in the last week of our 21 days. Fasting and prayer in a lot of ways is, is a group of people or individuals. And listen, it's not about, oh, I'm not eating this or I'm not eating that or I'm not gonna go on this social media thing or I'm not. Now, is that a part of it? Absolutely it is, it is, it helps us. But the point of it is that we would then use that time to get into God's presence. And not, God, what can you give me? But God, how can I just get close to hear your whisper? How can I just crawl into my dad's lap and say, you know what? I don't want anything. I may need some stuff, but you know what? I'm not even going to focus on that right now. Right now, what I need more than anything is to get into my father's face. Here's the deal. I don't know about you, but you do not have to go very far. And it breaks my heart. It really does. And you can do it on the news or you can just have people in your life that you have knowledge of. There is a ton. Of Elisha's walking around our world today. My wife just told me a couple days ago about a young man who, it's somebody, you know, I'm not going to get into the details, but tried to take his own life, had to be put into a, a home to keep him safe. The level of depression, the level of mental illness, the level of, of just, just anger and bitter. I mean, it is rampant. I mean, it's amazing to me. It's absolutely incredible. And I know at times I have sat there in my own life and in my own office and in my own prayer closet and I've gone, God, what are we going to do? How are we going to help these people? What can we do as a church, as your followers, to, to help? I mean, they're, they're, people are walking around and it's just, it's, 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 it's demonic, it's horrible, it's bad, it's God, but you've called us to make a difference. What do we do? And man, you know what? I've seen all these things, and you know what? This organization's over here, and man, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna focus on this, and the kids can get this, and oh, this organization runs over here, and you know, if you just read this book or read this thing, and blah, 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 then it'll help these kids here and this or that, or you know what? If you just take them to the mountains once a week, then blah, 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 blah. And I go, these organizations, they're trying, God, but you know what? This isn't getting better, it's getting worse. What do we do? You know, God's word is so good. And I've said it before. There is an answer to everything that you will ever face in God's word. Sometimes we've got to find it, but it's there. Because I believe, I believe in this season that God has spoken to my heart. And I believe that God wants to ask every single individual, whether they're dealing with these things or not, one simple question. Where are you? Where are you? I love that God asks us where we're at, even though he already knows. God asks that question not because he doesn't know where Elisha is, It's because he wants Elisha to stop and take a step back and really see not where he necessarily is physically, even though that's a part of it, but where he is spiritually. Where are you, Elisha? Where are you, Aaron? And a lot of times we begin to shout out, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm distressed, I'm depressed. And God gives the same answer to me and to Elisha and to every person. He says, listen, why don't you come and get into my presence? Why don't you come hear my whisper and get close to my face? You see, you may think I'm naive. You may think I'm simple-minded, and I don't care. But I believe the answer that God has for every mental illness, every issue, Every problem is to get into God's face and to get into his presence and let him change us from the inside out. Now hear me here. That does not mean that God heals immediately. It doesn't. I don't know about you, but I've been praying for people that are dealing with physical ailments or mental ailments for a long, long time. But what I've learned is when we accept Jesus and we get in his presence and get into his face, a healing will come. And sometimes we have to trust God in the timing of his healing. But a healing will come. And I believe that for so many of us, the answer to the things we're dealing with is not a a better message from the pastor it's not reading the new self help book, whether it's Christian or not. It's not, well, you know, everything will change when we get somebody here who can who can lead worship from a you know guitar or piano, and we don't have to sing off the, the screen, even though that's great, and we've been making that work. The answer is not slick marketing from the church. The answer is getting into God's presence. You say, Aaron, why did you want to finish kind of the fast with this? Because you know what? This fast may be over in seven days, but it has only just begun. And I want to encourage you, even though in a couple days you may move back to things being a little bit more normal, God never wants you to leave his presence and leave desiring his face. Because here's the thing, God's secrets, God's whispers, God's promises are things he wants to tell you from now throughout entire eternity. Let's experience that because that's what our God has for us. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes just so we can focus and let's close this out in prayer. Father, we come to you right now. And God, I I know that there may be some that are here today or even online and they're going, you know what, Aaron? uh, You're pretty dumb. You really think that with all the issues I'm facing, with all the things I'm dealing with, with things that I'm dealing with, things that my kids are dealing with, things that my family's dealing with, all those things, you really think that if I'll just get into God's presence and I'll seek His face and I'll listen to the whispers, you really think that that'll change everything? And Father, here's the deal. I don't have to believe it. I do, but I don't have to. I believe it because Your your Word says so. It says that when we seek You in Your kingdom, that all these other things will be added. It says that when we seek You, You will be found. It shows countless time after time after time, example after example after example, people that lived horrible lives, people that lived decent lives, people that lived religious lives, people that followed You. It doesn't matter. When people got into Your presence, everything changed. A shepherd who's running away from the call of God has a burning bush experience with you, God, and it changes everything. And he leads your people to the promised land. A man who is seeking out to kill and destroy your followers has a moment on a road, and in that moment, he goes from Saul to Paul. Why? Because he had an experience with you. All the knowledge, all the understanding wasn't enough. He had to have a moment in your presence and it changed everything. And God, there's countless other examples. When we get to be that close, everything changes. And so God, I pray for me, for all of us. It doesn't matter if we're in a moment like Elisha or we've run away and hiding in a cave. It doesn't matter if we're like Peter. Who's simply out trying to make a living, catching some fish, when he has in a moment an encounter with the Son of God. And it changes everything. Doesn't make them perfect, but it changes what's most important to them. And God, you desire to do that in, in all of us. So, God, I pray for me and for all of us, every individual here, every individual that's online listening today or at other times that, Father, we would not neglect the time that we need to be in your presence. Yes, you're always around us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you for that. But Jesus, you have called us to a deeper experience with you. It's one of the reasons you came, died, and rose again so that we could walk boldly into your presence and experience you. Because God, I believe for every single individual here, there are some whispers of your love. There are some whispers of your forgiveness. There are some whispers of your grace. There are some whispers of direction and wisdom that you have for us but we will only hear when we get close to your face. So draw us in again. Help us to realize what we really need is you. You're so good. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Awesome. So listen, you got seven days left. And then, and I'm really bad at math, you got like 330 or so maybe left for the year. So even though the fast is going to be coming to an end soon, don't let your pursuit of God end. All right? Cool? Awesome. I hope you have a wonderful week. Remember, we have prayer Wednesday night, uh, 7 o'clock. Ladies, there's a sign-up sheet there out in the foyer. Make sure you sign up. Hope you have a wonderful week. Love you. Talk to you soon.